Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew, chapter 27, and verse 33 through 44. Matthew chapter 27, verse 33. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots, and sitting down, they began to keep watch over him. And they put up above his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. Matthew records for us here the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Crucifixion was a very cruel, agonizing form of execution practiced by the Romans who ruled the land of Israel at this time and crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. Jesus had been arrested on the previous night. He had been condemned by the high court of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and under the influence of the angry crowd which cried out for his crucifixion, Pilate, the Roman governor, had sentenced him to death. And Matthew tells us here in verse 30. Three, that they came to this place called Golgotha, the place of the crucifixions, which is called a place of a skull. And he tells us in verse 38 that there were two robbers that were crucified with him, one on his right and the other crucified on his left Jesus crucified in the center cross. And then in verses 39 down through verse 43, Matthew tells us of the mocking multitude as they hurled their abuse at Jesus. They ridiculed him for things that he had said and done throughout his public ministry and things that were well known throughout the land of Israel. They Jesus had claimed and said that he was the Son of God. And we see down at the end of verse 40 that they mock him and say, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And then again his claim at the end of verse 33, they ridicule him again, for he said, I am the Son of God. Beginning in in the beginning of verse 42, they ridiculed him for his apparent helplessness. He saved others, they said. He cannot save himself. He had saved many others from every kind of disease and sickness with mighty miracles of healing. He had saved others from death by a resurrection. But now he who had saved so many others was hanging upon a cross in his own helplessness, apparently unable to even save himself. And then down in verse 45, Matthew tells us that both of the robbers being crucified on either side of him were casting the same insults at Jesus as all the other people 
in the multitude. Verse 45, And the robbers who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him, the same insults as the multitude in the previous verses. Luke, in his gospel, as we read earlier, writes of these same two robbers, and Luke records a great change that came over one of them, and that's the passage we'll turn to now, back in Luke chapter 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. And we read in verses 39 through 43. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So our sermon tonight is focused on this one robber who had this great change from first mocking Jesus with the other robber and the great multitude, and suddenly this change came over his soul, and he recognized who he was and who Jesus was as well. And he cried out, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Three things we want to see tonight. The sudden repentance of this thief. Second, the amazing, remarkable faith of the thief, and third, the wonderful promise of Jesus. The thief we speak of tonight, he is often called the penitent thief because that is what he did. He was repenting and calling upon Jesus for salvation. Matthew called him, the two men crucified next to Jesus. Matthew calls them robbers, Luke here calls them criminals. The word indicates that they were more than just common, petty thieves, but they were men who robbed others and inflicted great violence upon them. It happened at that time that men would hide by the roadside in the country, and as people would pass by, they would assault them and rob them sometimes with swords and daggers to wound their victims, leaving them maimed and for dead by the side of the road, like the story of the Good Samaritan. And it seems here with these two criminals, these two robbers, because of the punishment of crucifixion that they were under, that these men had given themselves to such a vile and evil life, they were violent and brutal thieves. The penitent thief that we think of tonight, we may assume that he grew up in a Jewish home in the land of Israel. And as other boys, other boys in that land, among that people at that time, he would have been taught much of Holy Scripture, perhaps memorizing large portions of it. Going to the synagogue every Sabbath day, to the great feast in Jerusalem three times a year. But whatever truth of Scripture he had known, he had long abandoned it for a wicked life, And now he was paying the price of his sin by a terrible death of crucifixion on a cross. Little did this thief know, as he was sentenced to death and as he was led to his crucifixion, that he was now a witness of the most momentous event in human history. The Son of God had come down from heaven and become a man. 
and all for the purpose to go to this cross and to pay the penalty for human sin so that men from every tribe and tongue and nation could be saved and brought into the presence of God. The cross of Jesus in terms of its outward physical suffering was the same as the suffering of any other man in a crucifixion. But the cross of Christ was unique, unlike any other crucifixion, in the inward, in the invisible suffering that he endured, because it was the wrath of his heavenly Father being poured out upon him, and he was a propitiation for the removal of God's wrath against sin. All of the eternal curse due to all of his people was here being condensed and concentrated into those six hours as he hung upon the cross so that we could be freed from all the punishment that was due to our sin. It was an event that had been planned from eternity by heaven, and it was an event, it is an event that will be worshipped and remembered for all eternity future in the world to come. The one sacrifice which all of the Old Testament sacrifices foreshadowed, the Lamb of God had come down from heaven to take away the sin of the world, and this thief was a witness to it all as he hung upon the cross. When he was first nailed to the cross, he was hurling the same abuse at Jesus as all the others. But at some point, in a sudden and miraculous way, his thoughts concerning himself changed, and his view of Jesus changed as well. In verse 40, He began to rebuke the other thief because the fear of God came over him. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? The sentence of condemnation which he spoke of was that sentence of condemnation which God declares upon sinners. His fear of God was connected to the sentence that God brings upon human sin. And this man now saw through time into eternity. And his cross was bringing him quickly to his own death and then to the judgment of God. And as a great sinner himself, God's judgment would be a judgment of condemnation upon him. Do you not even fear God, he says? For we... Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And this sentence of condemnation, he said, was fair and just in verse 41. And we indeed justly, he said to the other thief, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. He made no argument with the condemnation that he was under, he had no excuses. He blamed no one else. His mouth was closed and he took full responsibility for all the crimes he had committed and the punishment which he deserved. It was a true repentance. It was now a turning from his life of sin, a confession of his sins and the evils which he had committed. And he also had an entirely view, different view of Jesus. As we begin to see at the end of verse 41, he says, But this man has done nothing wrong. This man who is dying in the center cross, this man whom we have all mocked and ridiculed, this man, he has done nothing wrong. He saw the way in which Jesus was endured, endured his sufferings. The perfect gentleness of Jesus, his humility and his self-control as he hung upon the cross. As Peter said, he committed no sin, 
nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The Apostle John said of Jesus in his life, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father and full of grace and truth. And never before was the glory of Jesus so full of grace and truth so clearly seen as in the manner in which he endured his sufferings and hung upon the cross. And so this man, this thief who witnessed Christ in his dying and saw the majesty of the way in which he endured his sufferings, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. Some would take this to refer to the entire life of Jesus, the sinless life of Jesus, as if the thief here reasoned from the manner of Christ's death to all of his life, as if to say, this man, by the way in which he has died, this man could not have ever done anything wrong. And indeed, we know from the rest of Scripture that that was true, and he was a sinless Sacrifice upon the cross. So here we see the repentance, the sudden repentance of this thief. And the second thing we wish to see is the remarkable faith of the thief. He cries out in verse 42 now to Jesus. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And in this cry of this Penitent thief, we see a most remarkable confession of his faith in Jesus. Because the thief now believed that Jesus was a king, and he is a great king who is about to come in his kingdom. Remember me, he says, when you come as king in your glorious kingdom. How did this penitent thief even have a thought in his mind and consider that Jesus upon a cross could be such a king? Perhaps it came through the inscription which Pilate had put over Jesus' head, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Perhaps it was from the words of the multitude which he had heard and uttered himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. Or as he had mocked him as the son of God. And now every word of the mocking multitude was like a sermon that was thundering in the ears of this dying thief. Until he realized that everything that he had heard was true. And Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And he is a great king who is about to enter a glorious kingdom. Or perhaps it was from the Old Testament scripture. Which he had learned and committed to his memory many years before as a young boy, and now suddenly under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it came back into his mind, and he suddenly understood what those scriptures meant and the truth that was found in them. The words of Isaiah 53, which spoke of the suffering Messiah, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And yet in that same passage was the future of the suffering servant of the Lord as a great king. The Lord promised him he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong. The suffering servant of the Lord 
would eventually come into a glorious kingdom. And there were other passages of the Old Testament scripture that spoke of the Messiah as a great king with a kingdom. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Many times in the book of Psalms, David spoke of the Messiah as a great king. Psalm 89, God said, I shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. So perhaps one or another, or some combination of these things, suddenly came together in the mind of this thief, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and the truth dawned upon him, and he realized that this man dying upon the center cross is the Messiah, the great king, with a glorious kingdom. And he cried out to him in his desperation as a condemned sinner under a sentence of God of condemnation. Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. A most astonishing statement of faith from this thief. Because everything that he could see of Jesus at this time was against him ever becoming a king with a glorious kingdom. He was a man hanging upon a cross unto death and crucifixion. Jesus himself had experienced far more suffering the previous night than these two robbers on either side. He had been scourged with a whip, with animal bones intertwined in it to lacerate the skin and open up bloody wounds upon his back. His face had been beaten by the Roman soldiers. The crown of thorns had been crushed down upon his head. Blood poured down upon his face and his body. And his wounds were so horrible, he was unrecognizable as a man. As Isaiah tells us, his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. All this thief saw of Jesus was a mangled humanity hanging in weakness and humiliation on a bloody crucifix. And yet he believed that that cross was not the end of him. He was a king with a glorious kingdom in the future. And that kingdom was his only hope. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus had no crown of diadems upon his head, but only a crown of thorns. He was not sitting on a throne. He was hanging on a cross. He was not clothed in robes of royalty. He was naked in shame and humiliation. He was not surrounded by servants willing to wait on him, but he was surrounded by an angry and mocking crowd. He had no symbols of kingly honor or glory, only shame, humiliation, and weakness. 
everything about Jesus declared from the human perspective that it is impossible that this man will ever be a king with a kingdom. But the faith of this thief saw through the cross to the invisible realities of Christ and his kingdom. And he cried, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. When you come, he says, which looks to the future coming of Christ in his kingdom. His first coming was one of suffering. And his first coming was now ending in the death of the cross. But he would have another coming, a second coming that would be in glory. First, there was suffering and then there was glory. In some way, we are not told how. This man believed that Jesus would come again in his kingdom of power and glory. And it was his only hope as he cried out to him from the cross. Faith looks to things that cannot be seen by human eyes. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith must often look through the darkness of outward circumstances and through the things of this world to the unseen realities of Christ and his eternal kingdom. And that's what the faith of this thief did as he saw Jesus and believed he was a king with a glorious kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. So what there was here is there was repentance of this thief, a turning away from his sin, and there was this remarkable faith of him as he looked to Jesus as his only hope. One man said of the three crosses, one cross was a cross of rebellion, The center cross was a cross of redemption. And the third cross was a cross of repentance. Another man said of the three crosses, on one cross was a man dying in his sin. On the center cross was a man dying for sin. And on the third cross was a man dying to his sin. There was faith, there was repentance in this one thief. And we come in the third place tonight to the wonderful promise of Jesus. How does Jesus respond to this cry? As he hears him in verse 32, 42, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, immediately turned to him and said, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus made no response to the mocking cries of the multitude all around him. He only endured them as they railed against him. But when he heard the cry of a penitent sinner, when he heard the cry of a sinner for mercy, he could not turn a deaf ear to him. And so he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus could never turn a sinner away. He was the friend of sinners. And he had been the friend of sinners from the very beginning of his ministry when he sat in Matthew's house with the tax gatherers and sinners. The Pharisees had ridiculed him, saying, this man is a friend of sinners. 
That's what he always was. And he was still a friend of sinners as he hung on the cross. His invitation was still open to all sinners. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus had said in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And when he heard the cry of this penitent thief, he knew that the Father was giving him one more sinner to save. And he said, I must receive him and bring him into my kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus began his response there in verse 43. And he said to him, truly. A word which he often used as a prefix to show the solemnity, the importance, and the truth of a statement that he was about to make. Some translators use other words trying to bring out the meaning of this word truly. And they translate it as in all truth or in most solemn truth or most assuredly, most assuredly. Jesus is the only one who ever used this word in the Gospels. And it had great significance to him. It was not just a prefix that he added with no meaning. But it had great religious significance. And what he was saying is, I identify myself with the truth that I am about to speak. I am the truth, he said. And everything that I speak is truth. He had just said hours before to Pontius Pilate, for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And so the purpose of everything that he spoke in this world was to speak the truth. And that was condensed now into this one word, truly, I say to you. The God of truth was now incarnate, the God with whom it is impossible to lie. The word became flesh and dwelt among us to speak the truth. And some have said that this word truly is an equivalent to a divine oath by which Jesus swore by the truth that he was about to speak. God in the Old Testament would swear with an oath and he would say, as I live, And so Jesus in the New Testament would swear with an oath of the words that he would speak that they are true. And so he turns to this dying thief and he speaks this to him. Truly, truly I say to you, what I am about to say to you, the promise that I speak to you is a most certain truth. Truly, I say to you. And the next word in the original language, is the word today. Meaning, this very day, Jesus said, this very day you shall be with me in paradise. The thief had asked Jesus, remember me when you come in the future in your kingdom. When you come in the future. Jesus promised him today. Today, this very day, you shall be with me in paradise. The thief had asked Jesus only to remember me. Jesus promised, not only will I remember you, but you will be with me in paradise. The thief asked to be in his kingdom. Jesus promised him paradise And so Jesus gives exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could even ask or think. And Jesus' words here tell us what happens to all believers at death. Truly, he says, I say to you, it is a most certain truth. Today, this very day, you shall be with me in paradise. The soul of a believer, 
upon death goes immediately into the presence of Christ in glory. He did not say to the thief, today you shall be in paradise. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Heaven is paradise. Not because, just because, our tears are wiped away. And there is no longer any death or any mourning or crying or pain, as wonderful as all of that may be. But heaven is paradise for the believer because it is to be with Christ. Where he is, there is paradise. And that's what takes place immediately at death. The soul of the believer departs to be with Christ in glory. Paul said to the Philippians, to die is gain, for it is to depart and be with Christ, and that is very much better. Jesus said at the Last Supper in John chapter 14 and verse 1, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And then he said in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And in John chapter 17 and verse 24, Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory. So this is Christ's desire for all of his people, for this thief and for all believers that we be with him in glory. Paul said to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, he spoke of the second coming of Christ, and he said, Thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, We know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he said, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So the death of a Christian, he immediately goes into the presence of Christ in heaven. The Roman Catholic Church believes in purgatory. And in purgatory, a person goes there so that his soul can be purified before he is able to enter into heaven. If ever there was a man who needed to spend some time in purgatory, it was this thief on the cross. But there is no purgatory here. And Jesus shows us that the very worst of sinners, the very worst of sinners can go straight into his glory in heaven. This thief went from the cross straight to glory. And neither is there any unconscious soul sleep, which some have believed that at death the soul goes into a state of sleep until the resurrection, unconscious sleep, but death here is the entrance to be with Christ forever. And Jesus said to him, today you shall be with me in paradise. The cry of this thief was only Jesus, remember me. By which he meant not remember my life and what I have done. For his entire life had been devoted to evil. But he meant, remember me, remember me in your mercy. Remember me in the forgiveness, in your forgiveness of all sin. He did not ask for a deliverance from the cross that he was hanging on. Because he was looking beyond death 
into eternity, which he believed that he would be there. And his great concern was that he would be saved from his sin. He did not ask to sit at the right hand or at the left hand of Jesus in his kingdom as John and James had asked. But he only asked that Jesus would remember him in his kingdom. Jesus, if only you will remember me. If only you will have a thought toward me. A thought of mercy. When you come into your kingdom, that is all I need for my eternal happiness. And I will take the lowest station at the farthest gate in the outskirts of your kingdom. If only you will remember me and bring me into your glorious kingdom. Jesus, remember me that I might have a place in your kingdom. The thief had heard the words of Jesus when the Roman soldiers first nailed him to the cross. Back in verses 33 and 34, verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the thief had heard those words, and he must have begun to think, begun to thought, think in his own mind that if Jesus was willing to forgive those who nailed him to the cross, then perhaps there was forgiveness for him as well. Jesus, remember me in your forgiveness. Be merciful. Be merciful to me, the sinner, when you come in your kingdom. We see in the beginning of verse 35, the people stood by looking on and even the rulers were sneering at him saying, he saved others. And the thief heard those words, he saved others. He saved others. He saved others. Perhaps he could save me as well. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus, willing to save him, even at this hour, said, truly I say to you, today, this very day, you shall be with me in paradise. Men often think they must earn their salvation by the good works that they do. Where was the good work of this thief? His entire previous life had been devoted to sin. There was no goodness that he could claim. Now his hands and his feet were nailed to the cross and he was dying and there was no good that he could ever do in the future. Where is the good work of this thief upon the cross? Salvation is by faith in Jesus and by faith alone, without any works of the law. And all he could do is cry, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Paradise had been lost in the Garden of Eden. And paradise was now restored by the death of Christ. And to be with Christ is paradise. And his presence makes heaven to be a paradise to believers. And so Jesus can promise him, today you shall be with me in paradise. John tells us of heaven in the book of Revelation. And how Christ is the center of all that takes place there. And all the saints are with him there they sing a new song, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchase for men, for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And John wrote the book of Revelation many years after this event took place. 
And John tells us in Revelation chapter 7 that he saw a great multitude who had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And among that great multitude was this thief who had died upon the cross. He had washed his robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And Christ can save and cleanse the worst of sinners. And the crimes of this man did not put him beyond the power of Jesus' forgiveness. It is a trustworthy statement, Paul said, that Christ Jesus came into the world, sinners to save, among whom I am foremost of all. And so this thief is before, John says, the throne of God, and he serves him day and night. The lamb is in the center of the throne, shall be their shepherd and guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. So this is where the thief went, and Jesus' promise proved to be true for him. He went straight into the glory of paradise with Christ, and he washed his robes and made them white. One man said, This thief dined with Jesus on earth in the morning. And then he dined with Jesus in heaven in the evening. This was a deathbed conversion. And even those who cry out sincerely at the end of life can be saved. Jesus did not say to him, you have waited too long to cry to me for mercy. He did not say it is too late. You should have come long ago. No. The door of mercy is still open, even to the last breath, for any who will look to Jesus in sincere faith. But while that is true, the Bible never encourages men to continue in their sins and to delay to the very end. The call of the gospel is always an urgent call. Now is the acceptable time to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Because no one knows what their death will be like and whether they will have any time to even consider repentance and faith in Jesus one of the Puritans wrote concerning deathbed conversions. There is one such case recorded that none need despair, but only one in Scripture that none might presume. The cry of this penitent thief in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom is a most comforting cry for all of us who are believers even when we come to the end of life and to our death because even if we have believed in Jesus for many years we are really no different than this penitent thief we have no good works that we can offer we have no merit that we can claim. And we are still unworthy servants. Saved sinners, yes. But sinners still in need of forgiveness and cleansing and mercy. And what sure hope we have. What great confidence we can have when death comes if even all we are able to cry is, Lord Jesus, remember me. Not when you come in your kingdom, because he is in his kingdom of glory now. But Lord Jesus, remember me now.
when you are in your kingdom of glory. Jesus, remember me not for anything that I have done, but remember me in your infinite mercy and forgiveness. Jesus, remember me in your boundless love by the blood of the cross, by your great mercy to sinners. And if you remember me, that's all I need for my eternal safety and my happiness. Because how willing he is to declare to us his mercy. Truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. So should not our cry be like his as well? We do not know when the day of our death will come. But when that day comes, Jesus will say to us, just as he said to the thief, today, this very day, truly I say to you today, this very day of your death, you will be with me in paradise. And it will be true for us as well. Our desire will be finally fulfilled. And the narrow way that we have traveled for so many years through trials, troubles, dangers, darkness, and struggle, it will come to a sudden end. We will cross the river. We will enter into the celestial city, into the throne room of God and of the Lamb. And there we will be with Jesus in his glory. And he will say to us truly today, this very day, You have come to be with me in paradise forever and ever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the glorious way of salvation that you have made for sinners. That however great our sins may be, we may rest upon Jesus and all that he has done to rescue us and to save us from our sins. Thank you for all your work of salvation. Bless your word to us tonight. Increase our faith. Give us joy and comfort to consider what a great Savior we have. And bless these elements to us and give us faith as we partake them. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.